if your formula for success in the Christian life involves Bible reading and prayer and church attendance and giving, then you have set yourself up to be one of the most frustrated people in the region because you're lacking a couple of things there. One is God. You see, every time you read the Bible and pray and every time you attend and give and do the other things in the Christian life that we generally do, you've got to connect God to it. And sometimes mindlessly, we can involve ourselves in these things without ever thinking about God. But then, with God, you've got to have faith. And I want you to invite your attention to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to begin a series this morning on uh, you, a pleasure to God, and that is by faith. Verses 5 and 6 make that clear, and we'll discuss those in subsequent weeks. But in order to have a Christian life that is effective and meets the expectations of God, uh, you've got to trust God. And every time you read the Bible, think of God and trust Him that he's acting in that Bible reading. Every time you pray, you pray trusting God that he's actually hearing and arranging life to answer those requests. And that's true with everything else as well. Now, sometimes the discussion of faith, especially in a community like this, can make some people rather nervous. There are some that say that faith is believing despite the evidence. It's really the contrary. Uh, There are some who say that faith is mere optimism or faith is um, um, uh, psyching yourself out to believe uh, something that is impossible and incredible. Uh, Some are looking for liver shivers in order to have faith as well. There are a variety of uh, expressions about faith that really are such that, that really fall below the biblical standard. It reminds me of the little boy who uh, one night after he was put to bed started sobbing and crying. His father heard him and went in and said, son, what's wrong? And the little boy said, daddy, I swallowed a penny and I'm going to die. And he said, oh, don't worry too much about that. And he, without seeing, uh, without the boy seeing, reached into his pocket and pulled out a penny and uh, uh, pretended to pull it out from behind his ear. He said, here's the penny. Well, without Uh, without thinking, the boy in a flash grabbed that penny, swallowed it, and said, Daddy, do it again. (laughs) Uh, There are some people who believe that faith is believing something like that without any evidence at all. We're going to find something entirely different in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3 uh, this morning. I I would argue that faith is very reasonable, and it's really a commitment on the basis of evidence. You follow the trajectory where that evidence is pointing and you make a commitment to God on the basis of it. Now, you've done that with your doctor. Your doctor has told you to, after an examination, to begin some behaviors, to stop some other behaviors. And without trying, without, experience, without um, uh, any experience, you follow the doctor's orders. At least the doctor wishes that you would. Uh, the same is true with your pharmacist. I mean, you know nothing about a uh, the chemicals and other items that go into a prescription, but the pharmacist fills the prescription and you take the medication. You see, you think the doctor is competent, and so you act. And uh, you think the pharmacist is competent, and so you act. You think your employer is competent. And so every time a paycheck is given, either a physical copy, a hard copy of one, or an electronic copy, you expect the money to be there. 
they're competent to arrange that operation. You, you think, in fact, that uh, the bank is competent because you've deposited your paychecks there and you expect that when you show up that the paycheck is going to be there. Hey, there's something even more uh, remarkable than that. You're driving. You actually believe that the other drivers in northeast Georgia are competent to drive and so you dare drive on Atlanta Highway. Don't you? I'm just suggesting, let's do the same thing with Almighty God. And that's the argument here in Hebrews. Now, I believe that the, uh, that the writer Luke wrote the book of Hebrews. I'm not going to take time to unpack that, maybe one day later. But Luke, the author of the gospel and the author of the book of Acts, I really believe, wrote the book of Hebrews. And here in Hebrews 11, Luke described how that God acts more when believers trust Him more. Beginning in Verse 1 of Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Some of your translations say, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And then, the evidence of things not seen, or the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. We can see God act more when we trust Him more. And that's important for your individual life. Some of you are wanting God to act in your life. You've got some challenges before you. In fact, your whole life is a challenge. And the older you get, the more you feel that. You've got to make decisions about majors. You've got to make decisions... Uh, about vocations. You've got to make decisions about location. You've got to make some decisions about hires. You've got to make decisions in your family, with your children, with their education, with your own marriage. A large variety of things. Almost every hour you're making a decision that is critical. And you need God to act. The same is true with our church as well. We need to walk by faith. By the end of 2019, I am hoping that we will have completed a renovation project on the worship center and a few other items here at the church. And some of the things I'm thinking and praying about are the kind that are going to require faith to do them. This is going to be a very big project. Now, thank God He's blessed us remarkably. We have surpassed our Lottie Moon Christmas offering goal by at least $2,000, and the month is not over. And I believe, if I've read the figures right, we have received the largest amount of undesignated gifts to the budget in the history of our church in 2017. So God has blessed us remarkably. And we'll tell you more about that as the weeks and the months pass by. But there are things I'd like to see us do with our worship center that are going to require faith. We've got some ministries to the poor in our community that I'd like to see some revision to that are going to require some faith. And, and the theme of that will be don't feed the problem, but fix the problem. And that is, will be enormously important as we go on. So this morning, I want to speak on the subject, more faith, more of God. And that's what we're looking at this morning. Now, what more does God do in response to our faith? Well, the first thing is this. By faith, God keeps more promises. More faith and more activity of God in keeping His promises. There are those of you here today that want God to use you more than you've ever been used before. You want God to work with you in a work that will far outlast 
your life. You want a powerful work in your life. But right now, your future doesn't look like this. You're like the 13-year-old Danielle who said that the screen on my smartphone is brighter than my future. You want a future that is a bit different than that. You want a bright future where God actually uses you and makes an enormous impact through you in life and on others. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 is the key for you. It says, now faith is the substance or the, um, uh, the uh, conviction of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now there are a couple of ways to translate this and I think this is really all inclusive. You can translate these words, substance and evidence, as things or as experiences. Um, The substance can be, is oftentimes used for a foundation, but it can also be the word assurance. Well, you're assured because you've got a foundation in Him. And then these things can be, uh, where it says the evidence, it can be the assurance. Well, you're assured because you have evidence. Now, that overthrows the notion that faith is believing despite the evidence. Nothing could be further from the truth. Faith is commitment on the basis of evidence. In other words, you consider all you know about God, all He's done in your life, all He did in the Scripture, the testimonies you've heard from others, you've got the evidence there, and on that basis you make a full abandonment, faith commitment to Him. And so faith is the substance or the assurance and the conviction or the... um, Uh, or the uh, evidence of things not seen. So it's always dealing with things that you cannot see. So to have faith is to act as if God has already come through in your life. Uh, J. Oswald Sanders, the great missionary leader, said that faith makes the future present and the invisible unseen. It sees the invisible, it hears the inaudible, it touches the intangible. Now, I can hear a cranky person say, and by the way, I intend to introduce you to a cranky person one day, but um, uh, uh, I I can hear someone complain and say, well, when you talk about hearing the inaudible and seeing the invisible and touching the intangible, you're talking about mysticism and wishful thinking. And if that's your attitude towards those things, you've just eliminated every artist. The artist imagines a scene and paints it on canvas, but the imagination... Seeing the invisible happens first. If you think this is mysticism and wishful thinking, then you've just eliminated every composer of every piece of music. The composer hears the music first and then pins it. And then uh, you've eliminated every scientist that is in research. The scientist imagines a hypothesis and begins to collect evidence first before ever proving a hypothesis. And then you've eliminated every inventor who imagines an invention and then moves on to create it uh, or to invent it. Friends, what I'm saying to you is God expects the same treatment. Faith. Trusting Him. Now, Manly Beasley said this, and I've told you this before. He said, faith is acting as if it's so when it isn't so so God will make it so. Now, I want to modify that for just a moment. Uh, I like Manly Beasley's definition, but I want to get more specific with this. And so I'm going to define faith as this. Faith means I act as if God has kept a promise before He keeps the promise so that He will keep that promise. Listen to me. There are some things God will not do until you trust Him. There are some things God will not do 
until you have faith in His promise, and then you act. For example, you pray that God will bless an encounter that you have with someone, and then you go on and you act as if God is going to come through. I do that every time I witness. I pray and say, God, would you help me and would you bless me as I share the good news of Christ with this person? Then you just go out and act like God's going to do it. And guess what? He does. That's what we're talking about here. You act as if God has kept a promise before He keeps the promise so that He will keep the promise. And that's why some of you are held back today. That's why you're held back in marriage. You don't trust God to forgive somebody. That's why you're held back in family. You won't set your priorities right. That's why you're held back in other areas of life. You're waiting for God to do something when God is waiting on you. So we act as if God has kept the promise before He keeps the promise so that He will keep The promise. Listen, folks, God expects to be treated like God, and He deserves it all. Hudson Taylor was sailing one place one time, and the captain of the ship came to him, and he said, I understand you're a man of God, and you pray. He said, yes, sir. He said, well, the wind is no longer blowing, and our sails are not sailing, and we are drifting towards an island, and we fear it is full of cannibals. We need you to pray. And Hudson Taylor said, I sure will, but first raise your sails, first. He said, well, that's foolish. The wind isn't blowing. He said, the wind won't blow till you set your sails. Hudson Taylor got on his face before God. He pleaded with God for 45 minutes for the wind to blow. The man came back and said, hey, forget praying. The wind's blowing. (laughs) You see, you've got to act as if it's so, when it isn't so, so God will make it so. Act as if God has already kept the promise before He keeps the promise, and God will keep the promise. So, let me ask you, if you really trusted God, how would you interact with those outside the Christian faith? If you really trusted God, how would you spend your money and arrange your budget? If you really trusted God, how would you study? If you really trusted God, how would you go about your work? If you trusted God, how would you date in court? If you trusted God, how would you resist temptation? If you trusted God, how would you go about strained relationships? If you trusted God, how would you marry? How would you order your children's priorities? How would you respond to the twinge in your conscience? And then at the end of the message today, if you really trusted God and everything He says about His lovely Son, how would you respond during the invitation? You know, we'll give one of those today at the end of the message. And we'll invite you to trust Jesus Christ and give your heart and life to Him because He loves you. He bled for you, died and rose again. And He's inviting you today to come and meet Him. How would you respond if you really trusted God during the invitation? So, more faith, more of God keeping His promises. But there's a second thing. By faith, God builds more heroes. God builds more heroes. You know, everyone wants to be precious to someone. Everyone wants to make a significant impact on someone else. We may not want to be famous, but uh, the truth is, every one of us wants to make a difference in someone else's life. And verse 2 speaks of that. Verse 2 says here, For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By it the elders, the Old Testament saints and heroes, obtained a good testimony. Look with me in verse 4. 
by faith Abel offered. And then verse 7, by faith Noah prepared an ark. By faith, in verse 8, Abraham obeyed. And then look on in verse 17. By faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. And then in verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. Verse 24, by faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Verse 27, by faith, he forsook Egypt. That's Moses. And then look at verse 32. What more shall I say? For the time will fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also David and Samuel and the prophets. These are the individuals who are the most prominent in any storybook. They have been elevated throughout Western history and now around the globe, especially with the rapid and the exponential growth of the Christian church, church south of the equator. These are global heroes. They made a difference in other people's lives because they walked with God by faith. Do you want a good reputation? Then walk with God by faith. William Borden is probably someone you have, um, just a few of you have ever heard of, if anyone. But uh, he was part of a wealthy family, the son of uh, a wealthy father and mother in Chicago. And it was expected that he would uh, take over the family business one day. But he disappointed everyone in his family and social watchers in Chicago when he announced God had called him to the mission field. So he went to Yale University and prepared uh, for missions at the end of the 19th century. And he sensed that God was calling him to reach Arabic-speaking Muslims in China, of all places. Arabic-speaking Muslims in China. Surprised me, too. But uh, he made a commitment to doing that, and he finished his matriculation at Yale University, and he got on board a ship to go to Egypt first to learn Arabic. He wanted to immerse himself in the culture and the language there, and on the way he got sick, and when he arrived in Egypt, he died. Having never made it to language school, and having never made it to China to share the gospel. And people would rail and complain about that and say, William Borden wasted his life. But someone found his Bible and opened up the cover of it, and there he had written on the cover, or in, on the, inside the cover, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. And that story was heralded during the great push at the end of the 19th century in the missionary movement, and there were scores that surrendered and have surrendered for more than a hundred years to international missionary service because of the commitment of William Borden. William has made more of a difference on the mission field in death than he ever did and ever could in life. He became a hero before God because he trusted God. If you want to make an impact on others and be precious to them, obey God in faith. And one of the biggest heroes is mentioned in verse number 3. And that leads us to our third point. By faith, God gives more insight. Now let me warn you, if you don't have a biblical view of creation, this verse is going to be a nightmare. Verse number 3. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. This is uh, one of the textual bases for which we get the notion of creation ex nihilo. That means creation out of nothing. Now, I can hear someone say, wait a minute, 
You're going to talk, you dare talk as a preacher about creation? Oh, you bet. We talk about all sorts of things here at Beach Haven. Of course we're going to talk about that. Uh, and uh, you say, well, what about the contradictions between the Bible and science? Well, I appreciate Galileo's approach to that. Galileo was a Christian man, believed the Bible, and here's what he said. He said, when you come across what appears to be a contradiction between the Bible and science, don't assume a contradiction. Assume first that maybe you've misunderstood science. That's entirely possible. Uh, number two, if you haven't misunderstood science, maybe you've misunderstood the Bible. Or number three, maybe the, we have yet to discover the solution or the resolution to the apparent contradiction. And I think that is wildly possible. I think when it's all said and done, we're going to find, ladies and gentlemen, absolutely no contradiction between real science, not speculation, but real science and an accurate understanding of the Word of God. Because God is the creator of both. He inspired the Bible, and He created the heavens and the earth. And this allows us to do the very best scientific research and hold to the Word of God as God intended us to take it. And that's my approach to the Bible and science. But verse 3 says this, Creation ex nihilo. By faith we understand the worlds were framed by the Word of God. So the things which are seen were not made from things that are visible. No pre-existing matter to make the things that Luke and the Hebrews were viewing in the first century. So whatever they saw in the first century was not originally created from existing matter. Now this is an emphatic thing in the Word of God. Psalms 33.6 says about the same thing. Verse number 9. Chapter 148, verse 5 in Psalms. And then 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5 all say that God framed and created the world by His Word. And Genesis 1, 3 is enough. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. There was light. This is what the text is teaching. Now let me give you a Christian doctrine of creation, and then I'm going to pivot and go to how this builds our faith. Here's a Christian doctrine of creation, and I'm not going to say everything about it, but just four pertinent items this morning. One, God created the world Himself by miraculous action. Any approach to creation that reduces the miraculous is not the Christian view. Now has it ever occurred to you just how upfront God is with the miraculous? Now look, if we had invented the Christian faith, like C.S. Lewis said, you know what we would have done? We would have made it much more believable. We, we would have hidden the miraculous. In fact, we probably would have eliminated it altogether. And, and we would have made it much easier to, uh, to live if we had invented the Christian faith. But have you ever noticed what God did with the miraculous in the Bible? It's right there on the first page. In the beginning, say it with me, God created the heavens and the earth. So right there, the world and its skepticism is immediately confronted with the God of the miraculous. And then you've got soon after that, when God works with the nation, the parting of the Red Sea. And then the high point of the Bible is full of the miraculous. And that is the virgin conception and birth of Jesus Christ, all of His miracles how he gave the devil in sickness and evil a headache, and then his crucifixion, which changed the status of all believers before God, and then his resurrection. That's the high point. So the beginning point, God created the heavens and the earth. 
out of non-existent material. And then the high point, Jesus Christ. And then the Bible ends with a spectacular meeting uh, miracle when Jesus splits the eastern sky and returns to establish His kingdom in the second coming. In other words, God will not accommodate skepticism and neither should you. Now, don't be dogmatic. Dogmatism is certainty without sympathy. You, you be sympathetic. I got into a Twitter discussion with a famous atheist and her followers a couple weeks ago, and I will talk about that later, but the dogmatism startled me. Oh my goodness, you would think as bad a person as I am, according to them, I ought to be in a jail somewhere or under it. Let's not be dogmatic. Let's be certain and firm by the Word of God, but let's have sympathy for people that, um, uh, that may think and believe differently. You do that, and you'll make a long way, and you'll go a long way in making progress with them. So God created the world himself by miraculous action. He announces this in the scripture, and he tells the world, if you don't like it, you got to get over it because there's no other God and no other way. The second thing, God is the only eyewitness to creation, and he announced his testimony in scripture. Let me ask you, who was present at creation? Now, I'm impressed with you, but were you present at creation? Well, was Stephen Hawking present at creation? Was Charles Darwin present at creation? No. Who was present at creation? Were there multiple beings present at creation? No. God was present at creation, and what we find in His Word is His record of it. There's a third thing as well. Interpretation of Genesis 1 to 2 must match Genesis 3 through 22, especially Jesus in Matthew 19. In fact, you could eliminate Genesis 1 and 2 from the Bible, and you would still have an entire witness and the balance of the Bible testifying to the God of creation. And so, however you approach Genesis 1 and 2 has got to match the rest of the Scripture. And then four, our views of creation must build faith and worship in God's glory and never, ever undermine them. Now, there's a lot more to say about this, but I think that that does justice to verse number 3. Verse number 3 says that what they saw in the first century, by extension today, comes from what is unseen. And because of faith, then, watch this, they don't understand first and then trust God. They trust God, and as a result, they understand. You see, when you want more light, you've got to have more faith. Now, what did they understand? Well, by Hebrews 11, they understood, they understood the Red Sea and Israel's story, that God had parted the Red Sea and led Israel to escape out of Egypt and formed them into a nation. They understood that. So they understood the Red Sea. They understood the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you this, and you have to follow the trajectory here. When it comes to thinking about how God does things and whether He's going to be faithful and what He did in creation, you have to think and consider. You've got to follow the trajectory of things. You see, this launches us on a path, and you have to imagine where it's going. You've got to look towards the future. So let me ask you, a God that parts a Red Sea, a God that pulls off a virginal conception and birth, a God that stills the winds and raises the dead, 
a God that raises his son back to life, what kind of God is he? And what kind of creation does this God pull off? What does this God do with people? You see, you factor all of that in together, you engage in some spiritual reasoning, and then you apply it to yourself, and that is where the understanding comes from. You know God, and you trust Him. Reminds me of the great tightrope walker, Blondin. He was a French man, and he did a lot of shows with the circus and individual shows throughout Europe and the United, uh, the United Kingdom and the United States. And one time he stretched a rope across Niagara Falls. And he thrilled audiences on both sides, the American and the Canadian side. He started on the Canadian side and walked on the tightrope across to the American side. And sometimes he would get on this tightrope and he would build a fire and cook an omelet. At other times, he would um, do other spectacular feats as well. Well, he got to one side and he asked uh, the crowd, he said, for my last feet, I'd like to have a wheelbarrow and I want to put someone in it and I want to wheel them across this tightrope across Niagara Falls. Do you believe I can do it? And folks, well, sure you can. He said, who will be my first volunteer? A young lady, 20-something, comes out and she sits into the wheelbarrow and for the next two and a half hours, he pushes her across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. She gets to the other side, and people are cheering. And a reporter comes up and says, Why did you risk yourself and take your life or place your life into his hands? She said, Oh, that's my dad. We've done this a whole lot since I was five years old. <laughs> you know something? She knew her dad that he was entirely trustworthy, and she committed herself to him. Some of you need some more light. You need God to act in your life. You need to take what you already know of God, add to it, abandon yourself to Him, and obey Him and get more light. You see, you're going to get more insight and more answers when you obey Him. You give God more faith that obeys, and God gives you more light that illuminates your situation. That's what God does. So you take what you know of God, trace the trajectory, obey Him, and receive insight. You're going to be in the dark until you do. And when you do this, you'll be an exception. A.W. Tozer, I think, really summarizes this exceptionally well. When in one of his works, he wrote this. He said, a real Christian is an odd number anyway. He feels supreme love for one whom he's never seen, he talks in a familiar way every day to someone he cannot see. He expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another. He empties himself in order to be full, admits he is wrong so he can be declared right, goes down in order to get up, is strongest when he's weakest, richest when he's poorest, and happiest when he feels worst. He dies so that he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passeth all knowledge. That is the life of faith. It makes perfectly good sense to God. And what God is calling you to do now is God is calling you, God is calling you to stake your all on one proposition. 
And that is Jesus Christ is right. He's calling you to do that. Jesus Christ is the true and living way, and He is the only true and living way. And the only way to be made right with God is by placing a life-changing faith in Him and to do for the balance of your life what He wants you to do. In other words, you stake your all that He's right about us, that we've sinned and we're guilty before God. You stake your life that He was an all-sufficient sacrifice at the cross. He did enough. He was all-sufficient for you in His resurrection. You trust that. And then you abandon your life to Him and give yourself to Him. Our staff will be standing here in just a moment, and we want to invite you to come, and we'll help you make that decision. Others of you, God's moving on you to become part of Beach Haven. He's calling you to stake your life that He is right. You've prayed about it. you thought about it. Today is the day to come and unite yourself with this church family. God may be calling you to something else. God may be speaking to you about ministry or missionary service. You come share that with the church today by faith, and God's going to bless you. I want to pray for you, and then we're going to respond.